This episode of Own the Gray is brought to you by I Am. Discover your unique talents, realize your potential, and align to your path. Take the first step to uncover your life purpose by visiting deborahjones.ca slash courses. Storytelling is an ancient art and a valuable form of human expression. It has a place in every culture and society. Why? Because stories are a universal language that everyone can understand. It has been a way to entertain, educate, and illustrate lessons and principles for centuries. Grab a coffee, get comfortable. We're about to begin. My next guest was born in 1943 and tells us stories about prejudice and discrimination and how non-judgment and respect for others can enrich your life. In this episode, she shares how she has adapted to situations while being true to herself, having received a caring act from a primary school teacher whose actions still influence her life today. Please welcome Ingrid Verman. Hi, Ingrid. Hi, Deborah. You have a very interesting story about how you came to live in Canada. Uh, you were born during World War II in, in Austria, and you came to Canada age eight. And I wonder if you'd like to share that story with our listeners about what that was like at age eight coming to a, a whole new world. How do I begin to describe this little girl with braids wearing a dindle, that's a traditional dress that also has a little apron, coming to Smith Falls, Ontario, 1952. This is before the Hershey's people were there. This is when it was a railroad town and it was small and I scared all the kids in the neighborhood. My mother and I arrived in May of 1952. I finished grade two in Germany, and um, I was asked to wait until September before when school started again so that I could learn to speak English hmm. because I was supposed to learn to speak English on the street. <laughs> Fine. Come September, I was supposed to go to kindergarten. By this time, I was nine. I turned nine in August. And not ever having been a petite individual, here I was, a nine-year-old, to be put in with kindergarten kids to learn how to cut and paste. I never knew how to cut and paste. Would have been an opportunity, I'm sure. Anyway, long story short, I was put into grade one. And in those days, in that school, uh, the benches were screwed to the floor, and, and I couldn't get into it. I was, I was not a one-year-old. I was a nine-year-old. Anyway, they brought in another, another table and chair at the back of the class. So here I am, this kid with braids, dressed in this funny stuff, not able to speak English in small town, Ontario. And thank 
God for the grade one teacher, Lillian McLaughlin, recognized the fact that my education level was probably that of a grade four. She respected me for what I knew, for who I was, and helped me get through the language and showed me the dignity and respect of being who I was. She and I stayed in touch, I don't know, for about 20 years afterwards until she finally died. But that's where it all started. And so that was a, an interesting welcome when uh, first you were not respected by the system. Then you had somebody stand up for you and, and help you be repositioned into something that suited you better. That was an interesting lesson to have learned at uh, nine years old. How do you think it affected you today? You know, I think over time, I tried to do a Lillian McLaughlin, if I can say it that way, with other people who are societal, societally different, who come from other countries, who perhaps um, have different views of the world, different spiritual backgrounds, uh, different traumas in their lives, and just see the human being as opposed to the accoutrements of society, if that makes any sense. So you make it your mission to go around and, and notice when there's disharmony or a chance to create harmony. Uh, I remember you told me a story of when you went into the grocery store. That would be a great one to share with our listeners. Would you like to share it? I'd love to. And this this just happened through this, this COVID time. Um, I live in, in Guildwood, which is part of Scarborough, and it's very multicultural. And I go to a grocery store that I just adore, and I'm checking out and I'm packing bags and trying to keep up so that um, the young man at the cashier can, can cash me out. And here's this handsome African young man, and he's watching me. He's very patient. I finally get the thing done. Yes, I had air mouse. Yes, could I please be by debit? Yes, I could do all of that. And I'm finally done. And it was at the height when the racial tension was very, very obvious here. And I just looked at him and I said, you stay safe. And I can be pretty intense. And here I am, you know. And he's looking at me and he goes quite pale and very serious. And then I said, otherwise I'm going to call your mother. I'm going to telephone her. And we both cracked up and we laughed. And in that moment, something changed. He probably wondered what you meant about staying safe and was a little perplexed by it. And when you mentioned that you were going to call his mother, then it broke the tension. I wonder what, what he took away from that experience. I'm sure that was uh, something that he might have shared with his friends. <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this funny old white woman, you know, she came through and this is what she did. And that's all fine. I do really believe that if we could see experience and honor each other's humanity we'll be living in a different world mm -hmm. totally agree it is a strange old world that we're living in now you know a little bit of kindness and a little bit of humor can go a really long way and you know there's a lot of people that I've been speaking to that that are struggling in these times of you know not knowing who they are or where they're going and and it's actually a really you know scary time for a lot of people and I wonder have you felt that at all absolutely this whole year this whole year and it's just it's just been mounting what I've 
got the benefit of being at this time in my life, I can lock myself away into the apartment. I have a fabulous view over Gildwood into the valley, the trees, a little piece of Lake Ontario, and a huge sky. And it just gives me peace and quiet. If I need to do laundry, I'll do laundry <laughs> only when I have to. And I can I can be a recluse and it's okay. And then come out periodically, but it's just overwhelming sometimes the way people are driving, the way people are walking in crowded places. A large number of people are disconnected. It feels like they're just going through their robotic movements. Uh, there's a sprinkling of people who are sweet and kind, and we recognize each other. And, you know, have silly exchanges and, and makes the day go easier. But, yeah, the tension is high, really high. Mm-hmm. And how have you stayed sane? <laughs> or have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good question. That's, a, that's assuming I've ever been sane. <laughs> thanks for that. I like that. Just, just like I said, you know, I can, I can look here. I mean, I have flocks of, of Canada geese flying by at eye level. I have hawks circling around and hunting in the valley and turkey vultures and, and then little birds come and, and they eat all the little black flies and spider webs. I mean, that sort of thing turns my crank. But you see, part of that takes me back to how I reacted to situations in childhood. And when things got really difficult amongst my cousins and schoolmates, I would go into the woods and I would wander and I would play with mosses because where I was as a child, there was a lot of that sort of thing in the woods. And I could just disappear and I could be with the trees and I could be with the natural world. And I'm, I'm contented with that. So I think that makes a difference. Was I know there are people that really suffer when they're not amongst people. It comes to it comes down to how you best operate. So growing up and knowing what made you feel better, knowing that you can always go to that because you've learned that it's a way to soothe your soul. And have you ever been in a situation where you haven't been able to? take care of yourself in such a grounded way very much so very very much so there was there's a good 20 year period after my father died and um, while my mother was succumbing to multiple sclerosis and I was working in the corporate world I was in management and there's no family in this in this country and friends fall away because uh, <laughs> It's too hard. It's too difficult. You know, people would say, how's your mother? And I would tell them how my mother was. And maybe she wasn't feeling all that well that day. They stopped asking. So withdrawing and holding tight and holding close and smoking cigarettes work, you hmm. suck it back, you know, and just keeping pushing. And you do what you have to do. And part of that also comes out of, I think, a role model from my parents. Because they went through World War II. I was born during that time. But they went through it as adults and they lived through it. And that created a particular way of being. And on some level, like, you know, those little ducklings that get imprinted. Well, this duckling got imprinted too. So <laughs> yeah, you survive, you know, you do the, you do the best you can. 
I was 33 when my father died. I kept my mother in her house for four years, so I was 37. And then she had to go into a chronic care facility because she was flat on her back, couldn't turn herself over, and that's the way she spent it between the age of 64 to 79. That took a toll on you looking after your mother that way. And when she was no longer with you, how did you deal with that? That's a really good question. I think what helped me deal with that were four cats. <laughs> it's true. You're a crazy I'm cat a- lady. <laughs> I don't like cats. I do not <laughs> like cats. And in 1978, this is the year before uh, doing into care, over a 28-year period, I had four cats. One I went to the pound and got. I called her magic because she was magic in my life. And then three others came to the back door. The word was out. You know, here's this feline woman. <laughs> and I learned so much. And I think it was in the reciprocal caretaking that saw me through those tough times. Mm. if that makes any sense because I could depend on the critters I could not depend on all of my friends mm. so you found some something stable to to hold on to that felt like uh, a way that you could ground yourself yes so you must have learned you know how to adapt and and embrace your life how do you think you you did adapt and and embrace your life you know during those especially during those years when mom was in in chronic care i made absolutely sure that i presented an image to the staff in the hospital that she would benefit from they knew that i was in management they knew that I would come dressed in high heels and a suit. They saw the quality of what I was wearing. I deported myself in a professional manner. And that was to the benefit of my mother and how she was taken care of. I did not go in in tatted jeans or run-down shoes and that sort of thing. I provided an image that would then give her status. To avoid the discrimination. Yes. And I don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So discrimination, I mean, you know, when you first came to Canada and being discriminated, uh, assuming because you didn't speak English that you weren't smart. um, And then that story with the teacher recognizing that you actually were smart. Therefore, the discrimination was no longer relevant, at least in, in the aspect of the fact that they allowed you to go into first grade instead of kindergarten. Um, And you were talking about the story in the grocery store and there's discrimination in our world. And so it's, it's almost like you're on a quest to abolish discrimination. (laughs) You're touching on some tough stuff, girl. When I look at people, I don't look at the outside. I look at the inside. Scares the life out of some people. I would have used a different word, but we're public. And people people back away from me because they know that I'm seeing them. I don't I don't know except what I'm seeing. Do I like what I'm seeing? Do I see do I see some nasty stuff? 
I don't, I just look. And people don't like to be seen, except for what my experience has been with indigenous people. They're contented and they're comfortable. And the same with children. Children are okay. Look at me, see what I can do. So I got poopy pants, or who cares? Love me anyway. Hmm. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, somewhere along the line, we humans seem to lose that the ability to look at somebody and say, Wow, I think you're neat. I don't have to like you, but I will respect you. I will dignify your existence. And I'm glad to be sharing the planet with you. Yeah. People see it as maybe losing something by with the discrimination or like, you know, the, the discrimination could be, I'm afraid of you and I'm afraid that I might suffer from you and therefore I am going to discriminate against you rather than the idea that if I got to know you and, and can respect and appreciate you, then I actually might even enrich my world. Well said. And it's and it's true. It's true. It's true. A few months a few months back, a couple of years ago, I guess now, um, friends of mine pointed out that there was a new Buddhist temple had been built up on know, somewhere in Scarborough. And one day I did drive by and I drove in and oh my god, this huge temple! And look at that. There are two food dogs. There there's a vase with dragons around it. All the Chinese stuff because I I did Tai Chi over the decades. I was part of the Dome Stadium opening, excuse me, mm -hmm. in my car. It's January, February, it's really cold. And I'm just amazed at this building for whatever reason. And over in the corner, there's this little person all dressed in black, chipping away ice. And he turns around and sees me sitting in the car, comes towards me. I roll the windows down and he says, you can go upstairs just go through the red door and you can go in and go and have a look. And then he says, but take your shoes off. And you know me well enough, I think. And I just looked at him and here are these little almond-shaped eyes looking at mine and back and forth. And I said to him with a fairly straight face, I said, but what if somebody steals my shoes? <laughs> And there's a barely perceptible little twitch in the corners of his eyes. And he said, I'll give you mine. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I've got shivers telling you, you know, what a gift. Wow. It's all about perception too, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He saw you, and, and he recognized that you needed an answer to that question, too. <laughs> so, Ingrid, you're 77 years old, and you've been living a, a, an interesting life, and you've always got some really interesting stories. And I wonder if there's a little bit of advice that you can share based on your years of wisdom to those of us that are listening and wondering, you know, wonder what our life could be like when we're 77. What, what would you say to us? Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Take advice, search things out, research, size it up, but trust yourself. Bottom line, 
when I look back through those times when I haven't trusted myself, that little voice inside of me, sometimes I've gotten into real trouble, sometimes just a little bit of a kilter, but it's, that's what I've come up with. And especially like this COVID time to me has been an absolute gift because I've had to stay in here. I've had to be secluded. I was, I, there's no focus. I don't have family. I stopped seeing clients. So the gift is trust yourself. And that's, that's what's going to happen. And when you're trusting yourself, are you trusting in the fact that you can manage whatever comes your way? Is that what you mean by trusting yourself? Yes. No, that I can, that I can manage. Um, and if I can't, I can find a way through stuff or around it, or just do I have to deal with everything that's put in front of me? No. I mean, in the case of my mother's caretaking, there was no question. In a heartbeat, I'd do it again. But there are circumstances where you don't have to put yourself in the line of fire or responsibility, whatever word you want to use. And it's that it's that feeling of, Eh, doesn't feel quite right. Doesn't feel quite right. Leave it alone. Step back. Give it time. You know? What's the alternative, do you think, if we don't trust ourselves? We lose pieces of ourselves. I think you're familiar with the shamanic term, soul retrieval. Mm-hmm. So taking um, the, the wholeness of who we are, if we're not trusting ourselves, we're actually less than the wholeness of ourself. I, yeah, because I think we can lose aspects of ourselves. You see, what I'm, what I'm finding really fascinating in these last years is how people I don't know come up and talk to me, whereas at one time they would not have. So something is shifting inside of me to appear more welcoming. And that's a good thing. So you allowed yourself to shift in either behavior or just the way you present yourself to welcome a different reaction from the world around you. So when you shifted, the world shifted um, into alignment with with who you decided you wanted to be. Yes, but it's aspects of me that perhaps I had not um, embraced through my life that I took back. Like one of when I first got involved with with the shamanic work, um, I did a course on soul retrieval, and somebody journeyed for me. And came back with a message that I should look at myself at the age of eight or nine. Because at that point in life, and this this woman didn't know me, mm-hmm. just in, in the course, she knew nothing about me. And what she was saying was that in that coming to Canada during that time, a part of me got lost. The trauma was so extreme that a part of me got split off and that I needed to parent that part. 
And that's in effect what I've been doing through these last months. Like I have a, a, a friend in Vancouver who's uh, two years, three years older than me. And <laughs> we have these conversations. Oh, I don't like getting dressed today. I'm not going to get dressed today. Today's going to be a bath towel experience or whatever. And it's okay. You don't, you don't feel guilty about it. You don't, you don't beat yourself up because, oh my God, do you know I haven't dusted it here in four weeks? That's dreadful. It's not dreadful. It's my place. I can do with it what I wish. If people don't like it, they don't have to come. So your, your message is to trust yourself. Yes. To trust your feelings. Yes. To follow what is right for you. Yes. And not worry about prejudices and judgments from others. Yes. Now, I would like to add something to that. If I had children, and for sure grandchildren, perhaps my acting out wouldn't be quite as extreme. What do you mean by that? Maybe I would dust every two weeks as opposed <laughs> to every four or five weeks. I would I would bring my way of being into a different venue to to be a different role model if you like. Why would I expect others to have that depth of understanding that hopefully I have? Like when I was volunteering, I presented myself in a particular role which is somewhat the same to who I am, but not totally. So adapting to your situation and choosing what to present in each situation, depending on what you might get in return? Not even so much what I can get in return, but what I can give. Mm. So, so adjusting the aspects of yourself and highlighting certain things in certain situations in order to make the most of that situation or make that a, a make the best of that situation for yourself and those that it concerns. Yes, and what comes to mind is I used to love I volunteered at the zoo as you may remember. Um and I love being with the kids. Because this is teenagers and younger. Um because, you know, can I come and volunteer at the zoo? Sure, why not? What is it that you like? Go and check it out on Google. Do this, that, the other thing. And you watch these little faces light up with the possibility of what they could maybe do. Because here's this old woman looking me in the eye and saying, yes, you can do it. Check it out. You may decide you don't want to do it once you look at the detail, but check it out. Of course you can do it. Go and explore. It's um it's incredible the impact that we can have on others' lives as well as our own with the choices and decisions of how we choose to present ourselves. I think that's what you're saying is recognizing that children especially are sponges to the feedback that they get from the environment that they live in. And by having somebody say to them, yes, it's possible and, and showing them an open door rather than something that looks like to be too much of a challenge or that 
somebody doesn't have faith in their abilities to be able to to do that. If we think about how we are presenting ourselves to others, the effect that it has on their lives is far-reaching. So yeah. perhaps that child, after you believed in them, goes through their whole life knowing that it's something that they can feel supported in, in different choices. Whereas if you'd never said that to them, and maybe their upbringing is more restrictive, they can go through their entire life with that restriction. And so I think that's what, what I'm hearing you say is the, the power of uh, who we choose to be, if we're being authentic to ourselves, if we're being true to ourselves. And expressing that truth, no matter if it ticks boxes for other people or not, um, it's really ourselves that we are to be honoring uh, because we have to live with ourselves the rest of our life. And as long as we're doing that, it, it sounds like you know that's that's why we're here on this earth is to just be ourselves, don't you think? Just think back to Lillian McLaughlin, my first teacher. Smith's Falls, Ontario. Yeah, she believed in you and she saw who you were and didn't listen to all the the judgments and the Yeah. Yeah. She beautiful. Was, she just she respected me and said, Go for it. Do it. You can do this. Yeah. Just give yourself time. And now look at all you've done in your life, thanks to her. Seriously, seriously. You know, I, I, I often think, I, mean, I think back to my first two years of schooling and the sorts of teachers I had. Oh, if I continued in that environment, what would have happened to me? Would I have been totally crushed or would I have just become a, a miserable old because I was so twisted? Mm-hmm. So next year, anything, any plans for yourself? I'm going to get some purple in my hair at the end of December. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it before. I've just I've just had a haircut that I quite like. I had my hair really long, longer than you've probably ever seen. It's like yes, there's an excitement building, like all the stuff that's lying around. It's going to go to the Sally Ann or whoever, and I'm just picking out things that I really, really, really treasure, and let the other things go lovingly, little by little, to other people. You know? Yeah. And so getting a little touch of uh, purple in your hair, what is that saying to the world? <laughs> oh, well, listen, I can go back to when I had it done once before. We'll go back to the volunteering days. And I remember I was so proud of this. It was so beautifully done. And I walked around and volunteers closer to my own age would look at me and then look away and sort of go to each other. Uh, I knew what they were doing. They were being critical because I had purple in my white hair. Then the kids would come by and they'd do it. Yes. <laughs> and I was, yes, that's what I'm here for. You know, I mean, it's a lifting of spirit. It's shaking things up. It's a harmless adventure that lasts for a certain uh, length of time. And and then the gray comes through afterwards. <laughs> I like the color. It's strengthening. Um, Life is to be explored. I think it's to be enjoyed. Sometimes you can do a lot of it and sometimes you can't. I mean, sometimes the exploration might just be going to the jumbo burger and have a hamburger or something. I don't know. Not that I, I've been there. But 
you know, it's those little things. Like, go and explore. Turn that leaf over. See what's under there. Say hello to the dog that this person is walking. I do it all the time. Not all dogs. If it feels if it feels right <laughs> and the humans feel friendly, then I'll just say, oh, aren't you wonderful? You know? People don't take their cats for walks, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not on leashes, no. <laughs> so live life. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. And explore and trust yourself. Are those your messages? Yeah, and the thing is, you know, be be cautious with. Don't worry about what other people think. There are, there are circumstances that you need to be more reserved. You know, you you can't just you can't just go pooping on other people's doorsteps. But for most part, you can have you can have funny little silly games, and people aren't even aware that you're enjoying yourself. Like it's like being a two year old again. So this, the, the kids start, I don't have children, by the way, right? And this, they've just been walking. I've, wa- I've watched them. They're incredible. They're up on their feet, and they've got all of this power, and here I am, and watch me. Don't go too far away because I need you, but don't touch me. Leave me alone. I can do it myself. It's that mentality. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I need society. So society, if you like, is the parent. But don't get too close. Don't step on my toes. Don't restrict me. I can walk on my own two feet. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Thank you ever so much, Ingrid. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. This has been Ingrid Rerman and Deborah Jones for Own the Gray. Go to ownthegray.ca to follow us and listen to more great episodes. Or you can listen on Apple, Spotify, Google, iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and more. This episode brought to you by Lunch with a Healer podcast. The best conversations happen when you're having lunch with a friend, especially when one is a healer. Pull up a chair at lunchwithahealer.com.